Welcome to the New Books Network. Good morning, good evening, good night, NBN, Entrepreneurship and Leadership. Personally, I'm fascinated by the story. Trust is an underrated weapon in the business landscape. I'm a really, really strong believer in learning by doing. What's the definition of success? He's trying to come up with an answer to the question. But go ahead, Richard. Uh, you could be right, but you're wrong. <laughs> good afternoon, good morning, good night, NBN, Entrepreneurship and Leadership listeners. Wherever in the world you are, it's February 2021, and we've got a very special guest on the show today, Florian Faze. Florian would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. Hi. Thanks so much for having me, Richard. Hi, Kimon. Hi. <laughs> nice to see you again. There you go. Hi. Nice to see you again uh, in these virtual times. Uh, yeah. So my name is Florian Fez. I'm uh, I'm uh, based here in Zurich, Switzerland, um, and uh, I got two kids, uh, young kids, two sons, two boys. Um, do a lot of uh, sports, running around, hanging out in the mountains. Uh, you know, before COVID, uh, a lot of snowboarding and, and stuff like that. Now it's a little harder to get on the on the lifts and the gondolas. Uh, I run a, a small media slash advisory business called Slater.com and uh, or Slater.com uh, is obviously a good domain. And yeah, I've been doing this for, for five years. Before that, I was based in Asia for a long time, but I guess we're going to go uh, into that later on. So it's, uh, yeah, that's, sure. that's in a tiny nutshell. Sure. You still do the long distance running? I will again. Uh, they canceled all the runs last year, so uh, and now it's too. But are you training? I, I I will try again to restart, but now it's it's too cold in the winter. I, I kind of try to go more to the gym. Um, it's you know like when it's like minus eight, like your lungs hurt when you go running. So yeah, and Florian, before we I you before were tough, we spoke, Florian, sorry, sure. But before we start digging into your past, uh, Florian, and your story, maybe do. do Describe to our audience what Slater does as a business. It isn't the main focus of the podcast, but I think it'd be it'd be good for people to know what Slater does and when you founded it as well. So Slater is a bit of a uh, it's it's basically at the heart. It, you could best describe it as like a, a niche trade publication for the uh, the global translation, language translation, and language localization industry. That that's what what got us started. Uh, kind of a you know. It, it, Fully online, we, we don't have any print edition, but like just fully online uh, news and 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 research and analysis website. You know, from there we started in 2015, then fairly quickly expanded into doing conferences, relatively small scale, 100, 150 people all across the world with some of the CEOs and, and influencers and um, and and you know investors into this industry. We also do uh, we've really ramped up our research, so there's like research you can download, big reports with all kinds of niche topics around it. We have like a gated subscription service. So it's not just free articles. You can actually pay for the articles and, and read them. And uh, personally, I do a fair amount of advisory these days. So I help companies and investors uh, with, you know, I don't know, investing in this industry or, you know, doing some entering, et cetera. And I don't know if you dis disclose your, your profitability and revenues or the number of people. What Could you give a sense of the size of the business approximately? So we're at 11 people right now, globally distributed. So it's, yeah, as I said, it's a, it's a small but growing business. So it's, uh, you know, it keeps food on the table for a group of 11. So mm -hmm. I guess I can, uh, uh, I can, I can vouch um, as, a, as, a, as a language industry person. Um, what you did was like super impressive. Like we, you know, before before Slater came around, um, there just really wasn't a good source of information, news, gossip, what's going on in the industry. And you know, it it is a very niche industry. But you know, I don't know. Like you grew so fast. Um, I think what's like you asked about the eleven people or whatever the size. But I think what's most interesting is like. Can you just like the, how you got your subscribers? Because basically, it started as a free, as far as I know, it started as a free newsletter, um, just a free WordPress <laughs> newsletter, basically. And you, um, I mean, like, give us just a sense of how fast you got up that your subscriber numbers, because I think that was like super impressive, actually. Yeah, that, and it keeps going up, right? I mean, the the newsletter now has thirteen thousand five hundred subscribers. I wish it was all in like Substack and everybody paid a hundred bucks for it a year. <laughs> That would be fantastic, uh, but it's free. But for us, it, that you know, the email, literally, email newsletter is, is a key channel. We send it out every week. Uh, 
traffic on the websites, like 150,000 page views a month. So it's, it's good. But for in 2015, just to give us a sense, because yeah. I, I got the impression that it went fast. So like you started like the, when was the first issue I, of the I newsletter? I think the initial splash like that we just came on the scene was yeah. quite fast. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was, but since it's niche, it's not going to like the trees only grow so far in terms of traffic and subscribers. Right. But what so did I you think get to 5,000 in six months? I mean, like just to give us a sense. Mm. Or, I don't remember. I think it was more steady. I think there was initial boost. I think it, maybe the first four or 5,000 was probably in the first year or so. Um, but it's actually, it's still kind of, we keep adding like 50 a, a, a week. So it's relatively steady. So it was not like a viral phenomenon. I think maybe that's for, for people like you who are, you know, CEOs and really uh, like that kind of content for them. It was, uh, it was very much in need of product. And, uh, and so that's why you probably felt like, you know, it was there, it was relevant immediately. But for some of the other con constituents in this industry, uh, it took a bit, of, it took a little longer. And mm. uh, interestingly, sometimes when I go to conferences pre-COVID, like there's still a number of people in this industry that don't know us, like not to our own conferences, but others, like, you know, translators, linguists, such. I'm like, really? Like it's been five years and you've never come across one of our articles? That's impressive. That is, it, keep, that's keep, keeps you, it keeps you humble, doesn't it? You realize it you've, got it, more, it you've got more marketing to do. And if you, right. um, was this the first, and when you grew up, if you look back at your childhood and like the atmosphere you grew up in, were you in like an entrepreneurial family? Was it kind of obvious that at some stage in life you're going to have your own business because that's what your family, siblings, are all doing or did or parents did or is this are you like a, a entrepreneur coming from a non-entrepreneurial background uh yeah non-entrepreneurial definitely my, my parents both healthcare uh, industry uh my sister as well one, one sister the other one uh is more in i guess well engineering i guess you call this so not not non no really entrepreneurial background on the family side um i did do a you know in switzerland it's very popular to do these apprenticeships um like when you're 16 so i left school very early when i was 16 and they go take this uh four-year apprenticeship i did an electrician apprenticeship oh, and cool. and that that i mean that you could call this entrepreneurial because basically you're going to construction sites but first like the first two years you're like the slave basically you just like they make you do all the the hard the hard work the jackhammer stuff and uh, and then in the in year three and four, you basically go to customers' homes, like do like small repair, stuff like that. So that's pretty kind of entrepreneurial, you know, you need to write your, down your hours, et cetera. So you quite immediately understand like, okay, what's business? Like you need to get customers and all of that. So that dynamic was clear relatively early. So 16, so, but that was like after like uh, we'd call in America high school. I mean, we went to high school, you finished high school at 16 and then you did a, an apprenticeship and then- That's right, yeah. And then did you go to college? So, well, you can't, the two systems don't really compare that well, right? So here you, uh, and in Germany, but as well, but here in Switzerland, like it's six years primary, three years, I guess, high school. Um, and then you go to do this apprenticeship, but even during the apprenticeship, you go one day, you go to school. Like, so you have like trade school kind of stuff. So you, four days you're in the construction site outside or with clients. And then one day you go to school and, you know, there's some more academic oh. stuff. Yeah, you need that's to interesting. And were you? Would you have considered yourself a good student? No, I was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I wasn't talented. That's why I moved to the translation uh, studies later. I wasn't. I really. I'm not a good electrician. All right. I managed to somehow do my my exams and I, you know, the the theoretical part. I had decent grades, but I, you know, I'm not. I'm not a talented. I don't know. Okay. Okay. You were you were top of the you were on top of the you were on top of the class. In this is this is really interesting, Florian, because you know obviously we've met a few years ago in Warsaw, and I heard a lot about you from Kimon, and I read your product. But you don't come across as a sort of like a not very smart guy. Did you have a sort of in your self identity? Was it like you were smart, but the system didn't see that, or did you actually have a stage in your life where you know the fact you weren't doing great at school made you feel like you weren't? destined for success and you'd have been really surprised if like 20 years ago someone's because you're like 35 40 45 now something like, like, like that yeah, the <laughs> oh, last, no, 40 40, 40 okay plus, so i got 42, I got the, 42. <laughs> yeah. okay but like if someone told you like 25 years ago when you're 15 you're going to be ceo of a leading company and like you're, you're probably best in the world at what you do would you have been really surprised or did you actually feel that you know even if the system didn't rate you you actually like were quite in a you, you believed in yourself so, well, no, I never thought about it that way. A, I mean, the business I'm running now is relatively small still, so there's a lot of humble, uh, you know, let's be humble here. But um, 
it's hard to explain to people outside of maybe this trade system that's popular in Switzerland, Germany, that uh, this is not um, this is not an unusual trajectory, um, like doing an apprenticeship. Like the, the, the CEO of UBS, for example, who just stepped down, I mean, he did an apprenticeship in a bank, like, or probably half of the management, or maybe earlier, half, half of the management team of like a company like ABB would have done an apprenticeship in like mechanical engineering or something. So this is very much a standard educational journey that okay so so i was making a big decision at like 16 it sounds like at six you're very awfully young and you're making a pretty big decision um what made you go for construction i mean of all things i had no idea i had no plan what to do man so uh, (laughs) like exactly because you're 16 but but the thing is the system is very um the system is very forgiving and fluent like basically like you do this and then if you don't want to remain like in the electrician trade or do something like in, in, in that kind of technical field, you can just very easily switch careers or you can even like do like maybe add two or three years to your high school or like college and then go to university. So it's, it's very forgiving, like, or hmm. very fluid. fluid and also, I mean, for, for people who don't know, I mean, Switzerland is one of the most prosperous countries in the world that, you know, whatever. And, and there's probably a lot to be learned from, the Swiss approach to organizing education because Swiss product, despite these incredibly high wages in Switzerland, you manage, Swiss products manage to be competitive around the world. So there's there's something about the Swiss system that really works, isn't there? Because it, it, it educates people according to market needs. I mean, if there's no, you know, this apprenticeship, they don't just hire you as an apprentice because they kind of want to hire an apprentice. I mean, they need, if they hire you, if they need yeah, there's you, jobs if, there's there. a, there's if there's jobs, there's jobs. Yes. like yeah. you, you need to have the business to justify hiring an apprentice. Otherwise you're not going to be hiring that apprentice. So, mm. and, and then those apprenticeships change very much. I mean, they're very different uh, from the time now than at the time that I did my, I mean, now that the apprenticeship that I did is probably like three or four different apprenticeships. Like one is a bit more towards kind of the IT computer side. The other one is more towards really the full on construction side. So it really kind of adjusts to demand in the real economy. And so you don't have people that graduate with at at 22 with like a random degree that nobody will ever need. So, you know, these people are basically very much educated along market demand lines. And And, and and from that perspective, Richard, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think a lot of the other systems could learn you know, we've, we can, we crank out these liberal arts education people that don't have any skills whatsoever. At least you're actually learning something specific that you can actually do and put into place. Very mm. much so. Yeah. I mean, so, you can, you can immediately start work after that. Like there's, and, and there's... Also, and coming back to your, so, so that was my, my mistake and perhaps reflects the sort of British uh, education I had where, you know, going on the university track, doing, staying in school quite late is the sort of more prestigious thing to do. And like going into a technical college or a, a training is less prestigious, but in Switzerland, it's absolutely normal. So, but in terms of the way you felt about yourself, even if it wasn't general, did you like feel that did you, you didn't know what you wanted to do and you chose construction as sort of random by the sound of it? Uh, more yeah, or less. I think I checked out biotech laboratory assistant or something like that. Uh, as well, that sounded interesting, but then uh, you know that that electrician apprenticeship was very. There's a lot of them out there. Mm. Was at the time there was a lot of uh, you know mm. a lot, so I got in, I guess. And you got you said that you, just, uh, but just in terms of like, I'm interested in like where people's entrepreneurial origins come from. It obviously wasn't from like family, but you said you kind of learned what business is about by working in a business. But did you sort of think, hmm, this is something that I could do one day? Like, did you like the idea of like, because one of the things you notice, the guy gets all the money and you do, you work really hard and you don't get so much money. And were you sort of like figuring that out that, wow, the guys I work for are making good money doing this or stuff? I like don't that. think it was a money thing. I was think, I think it was probably the sheer mystery of what exactly is business. Uh, hmm. I had no idea. Right. I mean, or like, yeah, again, there was no family background. So it was it was very intriguing. And then some of my friends started working at like big companies. And, you know, after graduating university, and I always wanted to know, like, what exactly are you doing, like really doing? So you go to the office, and then what do you like, what what do you do there? Like, do you how do you sell a product that you know, PNG or something? Like, how, how does that really work? So that would that's what was intriguing. Um, and so you, then, were cu- yeah, you, were cu- you were curious, basically, you're a curious person, just so. in general, yeah, yeah. But then, so let's take us through the, take us along the, the storyline here. So obviously you're not in construction today. <laughs> um, so 
<laughs> so you, what, so what happened after the four years? <laughs> so you're about 20. I guess you're about 20 years old. You, you, you realized you're, you're not, uh, you're not going to be a, an electrician or in construction. So what was the next step along the way? Uh, some travels. So I went traveling, like, uh, you know, that was uh, no, no COVID at that time. So I went traveling um, Mexico, uh, Guatemala, and um, just to take a break. Then I had to do my military service. That's still oh. compulsory here in Switzerland. Actually, I don't remember. Did I go before or after? Sorry, first military service. So you, so you do the thing and they go military service for four and a half months. And then I went traveling. Um, and yeah, you come back. I had to work. So I worked in construction for two years, kind of what we call temporary job. Like you don't have a full time. Well, no, it's full time, but it's not like you're not actually employed. Like you're employed with like, a, like an agency type of thing. You're like a contractor. Know. Yeah, like a contractor. Um, and so, yeah, I like the language part. So I started learning Spanish when I went to Mexico and Guatemala a little bit. And then, well, look, so if you want to go to university, I would have to had to um, add like three more years of like pretty intense education. So catch up on those four years of school kind of that I missed doing uh, the, the electrician thing. Right. And that was not an option for me. I didn't want to go too deep into math and all of this other stuff that would have just, it was too, yeah, it was too much. Um, and so I found that this, uh, translation interpreting course was open to people who passed like certain language exams. So you didn't need that kind of high school, no, that college degree, I guess is the, the equivalent. So you could just kind of take some language exams. And that's what I did, like the superior in Spanish and the, the, the highest, I don't, Cambridge exam in English or something. So you, you passed that and then you were allowed to take an entrance exam for that Swiss, what was it? Yeah, University of Applied Sciences translation interpreting degree. And that sounded cool. That's like a shortcut to like like a kind of university level education. So I did that, passed, and then started in 2001 at that uh, University of Applied Sciences Translation Interpreting School. It was a little bit random. I actually studied uh, translation. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. But it's a little bit random. I think I, I picked up a brochure that had like information about uh, that translation interpreting course, and it sounded good. So, yeah. And then you got a job as a translator, I guess? Uh, yeah, that was that was really fortunate. So I went to uh, the UK, did a kind of a one year master in between doing this, the Swiss degree, I came back um, and my master thesis in, in the UK was really theoretical. So I came back, I'm like, I'm not going to write another comedy translation again. That's just too much theory. So I did like a survey around localization tools. And then the professor said like, well, I can't really grade this. Let me bring in the CEO of like the largest Swiss uh, translation company to kind of great that uh that uh, that thesis and then you know we had this uh, well defending the thesis or it's probably yeah. too much it's too grandiose a term but basically after that i was like hey do you have a job at your company and so she invited me to an interview with one of her uh, managers and, and and he was like well we don't have a job in switzerland but we have one for you in singapore and i'm like what singapore no way that's amazing so uh i said yes on the spot i'm like hey let's go to singapore so hmm. went over to Singapore as a translator, uh, but then very quickly, uh, as we, we were, I mean, it was an early stage of the business expansion there. And, and so, you know, after probably less than a year, I kind of moved into an operational role and then very quickly into sales and business development. And, and yeah, that's, uh, then it was, it was, yeah, it was not my company, but it was very entrepreneurial. I mean, we just had to hustle and get clients and build that business. Mm. So your sales, you were client facing. Very, very quickly. Well, that's another nice anecdote. Like uh, my, uh, the, 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 the manager they hired to run the business after kind of the initial setup, Mark Schreiner, I had him on my podcast actually just a couple of weeks ago. Um, he, he was looking at kind of the cards he was dealt and he was like, well, I got this kind of guy who's running operations. And like, he's not, the, like, it's great that he's running operations, but he should really be selling. <laughs> he should be selling and helping me, right? And we're both in Singapore. I need some guy in Hong Kong. So he was like, hey, man, you you just you need to go to Hong Kong and just basically become the GM. But that doesn't don't don't think that GM means anything. You just go over there and sell. We're not going to give you any more money. We just want you to have more responsibility. <laughs> yeah, you just go over and sell. Right. Uh, and that was kind of, um, yeah, really thrown in at the deep end on the sales so, side. So you were by yourself. You're basically a one man. One no, man it wasn't office. a one man show. No, there was there was there were already about 10 people there. Oh, okay, um, okay. but they, none of them would be now one of them was really a salesperson, but they you know, needed, uh, additional uh, support. So yeah, I was kind of GM slash sales manager. And then Florian, I mean, you were, yeah. um, 
like okay so you speak english and spanish and german but but uh like you're in singapore like how are you like you're selling in english to who are you selling yeah. to actually uh, so in Singapore, Singapore runs mostly on English, at least at the time, uh, a lot. Obviously, it's great if you speak Mandarin Chinese or some of the like uh, Chinese dialects that are spoken in, in Singapore. But most, I mean, Singapore, most business is conducted in English. And then in, in Hong Kong, it's, I mean, at the time, it's really changing right now. And I mean, we can have a whole other podcast around Hong Kong. But like uh, in Hong Kong at the time, you can still now, you can do a lot of business in English. Now, it's fantastic if you speak Cantonese, uh, the the kind of the you know the well, it's a language spoken in southern China, um, and then of course now increasingly Mandarin. But I you know I don't I can't conduct business in 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 Mandarin. Really, were you actually bit. talking to China? Like the buyers were were you selling to foreign companies in these places and like talking to foreigners or were they actual Chinese buyers of these services? It's, it's very okay. Let me try to unpack this a little bit. So in in let's stay in Hong Kong, right? So in Hong Kong, uh, all of the senior people, well, actually everyone speaks English. Like you, you really have, to, yeah, m almost everyone speaks English and, um, or is bilingual, like by now trilingual. So the, you know, Cantonese, English and Mandarin. So most of the people you speak to are, you can just have a conversation, business conversation in English, you sell it to them in English, right? Um, now, increasingly, this is changing because of the mainland Chinese like influence on Hong Kong. So like increasingly, it's getting a little harder for you to do business exclusively in, in English because the mainland uh, Chinese will probably say, well, if you want to sell to me, you should probably speak Mandarin to me. Um, but at the time and still now, it's possible. Uh, I also moved to Shanghai afterwards. So there you're really kind of just a foreign face and like you can have conversations in English, but you should probably make an effort to, you know, speak in Chinese, but it was not really that badly needed. I just focused on the, on the foreigners and on, on those, you know, Chinese clients that spoke English. Mm. And, had and, 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 and your attitude to your job, I mean, you, you asked for a job in this company and, you know, there's, there's a lesson there, like, Sometimes just the power of asking. You just ask, yeah. do you have a job? And that's how you got a job because you met a CEO. And um, so you kind of stumbled. It sounds like you you studied translation and interpreting. So you'd, you'd come out of this sort of this world. So it was ideal for you. But were you like happy in the industry? Did you like, did you feel this is a place I want to stick around? This is a nice industry. I like it. It's, were you sort of like, did you feel you had landed in the right place being in the industry? And then the same question about this particular company. You said it was a very entrepreneurial company. And that was, that was kind of also a kind of education for you, I guess. Absolutely. So, a I like this industry. I mean, it's uh, by default international, right? Translation, localization. So it's it's very international. There is, um, yeah, there's a lot of interesting people in this industry. And in terms of the company, it was led by uh, CEO Doris Albiser, and she was, I mean, probably one of the most successful, you know, entrepreneurs in in recent Swiss history. Um, you know, you know, woman entrepreneurs, and so. So she really drove the business as as a yeah like an entrepreneur. She she was always on client calls. Like when she visited in Asia, she would just want to have like eight client meetings and like don't bother me with like operational. Like I just want to meet all of our clients, all of our prospects. So that really instilled like a, a sales and and an entrepreneurial mentality into the organization, and that was uh, that was very interesting. That was very um, inspiring to be part of, right? And she also when I then. Uh, took leadership over the whole region at the end and at the, for the past three years out of mainland China, Shanghai. I mean, I was totally at arm's length. Like I would send my reports back. She would come over and, and help me close business, but there was no micromanaging or like distrust or everything. So I was kind of running my own little show out there. And it was, that was really, really cool. I mean, you know, it's Sh Shanghai, Beijing, Hong Kong, Singapore, travel to Japan, meet some clients. I mean, what more do you want? That's uh, very yeah, you're, exciting. You're, you're a young guy too. I'm sure yeah. it was a lot of very, fun. Very, very exciting. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, even by the, your tone of voice when you said that, that you, you clearly, what more do you want? And yeah. it sounds absolutely like, it, look, per, this, per, like per, perfect. But it, well, had that been your ambition? Perfect. I mean, some people just get lucky that their life kind of works out. And I kind of get the impression that, that you know, you may be one of these people who like who makes the best of their circumstances. Like, because it doesn't sound like you were driven. I have to be a leader. It's just you became a leader almost by 
not by magic because obviously you're, I guess you're working hard and you're performing well but you know did you did you have that sense that you're going to be leading a business unit of a successful company and it were you did you sometimes pinch yourself and has this already happened or were you, were you like on track if you see what I mean mm, that's 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 an interesting I never really thought about it that way I gotta be honest like I I mean I'm ambitious I I, I don't want to I don't want to be bored at work I don't want to do boring things uh I don't necessarily need to lead like hundreds of people. I guess that's not the ambition. Otherwise, I would have probably stayed corporate instead of starting a small uh, a small company. Um, I, yeah, look, I I think it it worked the way it worked out the way it did. Also, because it's I got to go back to this Hong Kong, Singapore, Shanghai. I mean, this is this was such an interesting time. Still is. I mean, this is you know century change china rising right. hong kong's Crazy probably the time. coolest city on earth i mean and, and shanghai is like one of the largest city on earth it's also very cool but it's a little uh, a little rougher i think so it, it, this was a fantastic thing to do when you're 28 27 mm. you know 30 I mean, it's like listening to your story already i mean yeah. we're, we're you know we're here on this podcast always trying to understand sort of the elements of entrepreneurship like what are the great the things and i already spotted two things in the story i mean like i think we didn't. I, we you, we just sort of casually mentioned it, but you you, you chose to do uh, your thesis on what was it like translation tools? What, what, yeah, what, yeah, because it was too. The other one I just did was so theoretical. So I'm like, right. yeah, I'm not going to do another deep analysis. Like, but the point is, whatever it was back then for your professor, it was like I don't know, like, I don't know what that is. So the, 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 let's start right there. Is you just you were going after probably the most cutting edge thing, the newest thing at the time. Um, you know, that's one thing. And then don't underestimate saying, asking somebody for a job, you made it sound, again, you just casually mentioned, yeah, I met the CEO. And, you know, a lot of people don't do that. They don't, that one little thing, they don't, they don't, they don't actually do that. So, you know, you made that, like, that was just a moment. That was clearly a key moment in your story that you just, and then it, it launched this whole other stuff that allowed you to then be entrepreneurial within that organization. Which is true. Cool. I think the, 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 the topic for that particular, uh, yeah, thesis. I don't know what you call it. Like the, yeah, that that the piece of uh, graduation work. That was a very conscious decision not to go down academia. Like that was very conscious. Like, okay, this has got to be business relevant because I'm so ignorant of this business world. Let me just do something that is very much business minded, and that then led to yeah, meeting Doris and in a sense the rest uh, of the journey there. Yeah. Yeah, so I think Kim asked a great question, and you know, there's a entrepreneurial lesson, and I call it opportunity readiness. That you can, even if someone's not got the idea of what they're going to do, they can work on getting ready for the opportunity when it comes along. And if you're yeah. you're obviously getting ready for translation industry with that that degree specialization, you also mentioned you're ambitious, um, and that you know that ambition obviously you know not ambitious to necessarily manage hundreds and hundreds of people, but you want an interesting job and you're ambitious. What would what would your sense of ambition, how would you define that? Like, is it in terms of significance or material wealth or impact or, or you know, what, 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 what were your ambitions? Or what are, maybe what are they now as well? I think one of the key ambitions was um, after this, um, well, Asia adventure, <laughs> for lack of a better term, that sounds horrible. Uh, my time in Asia, let me put it this way. Um, <laughs> it was an adventure, I'm sure back then. It was a giant adventure, but it sounds like I was there for like a couple of months or something. I mean, it was part. It a long part of my life, right? My first son was born in, in Shanghai. So how many years, like, actually? Just to give us a sense. What's yeah, it's the, nine the time years. So. How many? Nine years. Yeah, oh, wow. Three, that's, so that's overall. So, it was, so uh, how old were you when you got there and how old were you when you left? Yes, I was, uh, hang on, 20, I went 20, uh, 28, and then, yeah, I came back, uh, well, nine years later. So. Very soon. All right, sorry, uh, Richard, the uh, ambition question. I didn't want to get off the ambition question. Okay, hang on, ambition. Uh, what's, yeah, look, I think I, in, in, let's just, the, the, the electrician thing I didn't care for as good or bad. I just like okay, I, I, I don't I don't want to I, I don't really care about this. I have no 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 passion for this. And if I'm bad, well, so be it, right? I probably had like an underlying uh, uh, confidence that there's probably other things that I'm not bad at. <laughs> so <laughs> not as bad at <laughs> not as bad at. So the, <laughs> um, 
And so when something came like this, uh, the translation thing where I felt like, well, there's actually some intellectual work that, that I can do and that, that I can do well, I guess that kind of peaked a little bit of, okay, like how good can I be at this, right? Um, and then with business, obviously you have instant feedback. I guess that's what I really like about business. You always have instant feedback if it works or if it doesn't work. I mean, if it doesn't make money, eventually it just means it doesn't really work. Like it may be nice, but it, it needs to make a certain amount of money. Now, obviously, if it was all about money, you don't want to go into media in a niche industry. Then you want to do something else, right? But that instant market feedback in, in this particular thing is interesting. And uh, yeah, just, I mean, I guess the ambition before, before I started Slater was just making a business that's sustaining, like, you know, myself and hopefully a few team members. That's, for me, that's a, a big thing to actually achieve. Because, um, yeah, there's a lot of ideas and a lot of businesses that come and go, but actually making something that's, that produces revenue over the long term and is stable and, and slightly growing is, is actually a cool thing to achieve. Yeah. So what brought you back, what brought you back to Europe? Uh, look, if you, if you, well, a my my uh, my son was born. My wife's Swiss, so she, she's uh, eventually also. You know, we we had to decide if we want to spend our lives there or go back. And um, you know, raising children in mainland China is is a big decision. I mean, obviously it can be done. It's super interesting and fascinating, but. Uh, I guess if we had stayed, we probably would have gone to Singapore, Hong Kong, but that would have meant just staying in Asia forever. Like, I think right. if I had stayed past 10 years, there's no way to come back. You can't tell your family, yeah, look, uh, you know, it's been like two decades. I may eventually return. <laughs> like, <laughs> at some point, you just have to kind of be honest to yourself and say, well, I think that's, that's Richard my life. And I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, my business partner, I mean, Andrew Smart, he's been in, uh, he's been in Asia now for close to three decades, like over 25 years. Right. I don't think that's it's doesn't seem like it's going to go back to America anytime soon. And also, like, Asia's a long way away. I mean, to go from, you know, France to to Germany or Belgium to Spain, it's not that far, right? I mean, it's, culturally it's different, but, you know, it's, it's, it, there's, this, there's a sense of physical distance from mm. Switzerland to Asia, right? Yeah, there's a lot of physical distance, a lot of flying, uh, you know, those 12-hour flights uh, at some point. Like, like it used to be, like, it's exciting in the beginning. At some point, you're like, man, I kind of just zoom out for for, for 12 mm. hours. And cultural, it is, it is super, super interesting. And I feel like I just literally scratched the surface. Like, my Chinese is not, I mean, it's terrible. I can read a few hundred characters probably if I really practice hard for a week or so now and then we kind of it all comes back but i'm really not great so on my bucket list definitely is to actually become actually fluent in chinese maybe go to taiwan and like learn like the traditional chinese characters and so but this takes a lot of discipline and time and it's it's really i'm so impressed with anybody who can learn chinese and do like a full-time kind of western expat job at the same time that that's really really challenging i did all my classes every day almost every day but it's like you it's hard it's really hard yeah and so also from a culture point you mentioned like france poland i mean when you're in china it's it's really like europe is like that's just one even like just the west is like right. one thing and you're kind of all like that's you know american british polish swiss it doesn't matter like it's it's just that's yeah that's the west and and the whole in asia is just this big um yeah thing to be explored i don't know it's it's hard to describe you sound, that, it's but. it's funny you sound uh you, you actually you can tell that you really liked it and you really like it actually you actually have like some some part of you is uh <laughs> is there basically yeah. i think actually yeah so it sounds i mean when i go back there it's 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 just it's great i mean all all three cities are really really interesting and again as you, you i think I, f I feel i barely scratched the surface it's such an interesting culture and so much is happening it's such a you know if you start reading up on chinese history there's so much to explore that you don't know or read about when you're when you grow up in the west and, sure. and there's there's a lot it's of old of it's course. much older than what we have around i mean in well it's very maybe old. not everything in Europe, but um, no, yeah, so, it's very old, and it's yeah. Well, it's a, that will be again a different podcast, Chinese. <laughs> so you got back. So it's just personal reasons, but professionally, like, so how did you how did you wing it? Did you just tell your some the the powers that be in your company? Look, I I want to move back now, and I want to get back to the same job. Or how how did yeah. you how, what happened yeah. actually? That, that was it. Like, I was like, look, um, I, I'll go back. Um, I can do, I was actually leading the Asia team for about, 
Well, actually, up until the sale, we sold the company to Lionbridge at the lamp. Well, this is not a language industry podcast. So to the <laughs> one of the top like players, like Biggest, five six hundred yeah. million dollar um, uh, revenue player in this industry. So up to that sale, I think I let the team, and then a couple of months later, I left. Um, so I handed over everything, took a tour with the CEO in uh, with the the acquirer CEO in Asia handed over everything. And, and then so, uh, like at that point you later. knew you wanted to do this. I mean, that's when, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I did, I started planning this like roughly a year before I left. So I you okay. know, started buying the so, domain. So, so start to tell us the origin story of Slater. Cause you met, you said your business partner was from Asia. I guess you met him out yeah. there and uh, what's the origin story here. So the origin story was that I was hanging out at all of these trade conferences and, and was reading some of these trade magazines. So I was selling to banks, life sciences companies, law firms, right? And so I was going to all of these events like law, law Asia Legal, you know, Summit and life sciences clinical trial conference, blah, 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 because that's where I was looking for my translation clients, right? And, and they had some of these trade magazines and websites with news. And then I'm like, well, so there isn't really anything like that for the, the localization industry that I can go and daily and get my translation info, right? That, that there was not much. So so I was partnering with uh, Thomson Reuters publication called Asia Legal Business and the head of that. Uh, so we were translating their magazine and they gave us kind of a free conference sponsorship. And the head of that unit, um, uh, was the managing director was Andrew. So uh, then I was like, Hey, I have this idea. Like we could do something like this, but for the translation industry. And then he was like, really, there isn't anything like this for the translation industry. That must be one of the biggest sectors in the world that doesn't have anything like this. So, and then we started talking. Right. And, um, yeah, so his kind of publishing experience com combined with my industry experience sounded like a good fit and like, a, a felt like we had a decent shot at making this work. So it was, a tried and trusted recipe put on a new sector. Okay, so, so, he, so that so was a good, a good team. So he had publishing industry, B2B publishing industry experience, and you had, yeah. you had sectoral experience. And so that was a really key thing. And, and how long did it take you from like first, like that first conversation to actually saying, yes, we're going to actually do this? Uh, that was probably half a year. Mm. Yeah. But it was, I think we fairly early on, like, it's sorry, I really can't recall. I have terrible memory. I think it, we fairly early on felt that this was, we had a good shot at doing this. But then, you know, there's often you have like this, hey, this sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. But then like it just fizzles out. So this never fizzled out. It just kind of kept going. And then, uh, and yeah, at some point I had to commit to do it, uh, to doing it. Uh, well, yeah. I did he quit his job? Like, how did the right. whole thing work? I mean, like you guys both had to quit your jobs. I mean, did you guys save money? I mean, there's so many details of this story. Uh, that I'd love to, that I'd love to, like, how, how did you guys, how did so you I, decide? So I quit, I quit kind of into like blue sky quit, like, okay, I quit. And because if I don't quit, I'd never have the time to dedicate to this project, right? To Slater. And um, he kept working for, I think, I don't recall. I think he kept working. He had, he had another gig, like a, like a part-time thing going with like an, an accounting association at some point, but then quite early on, he also went full-time Slater and uh, you know, we, we just ramped it up from there. So yeah, there was, it was quite a, I mean, it was not like the, like I quit college, have no money and then like start that business. And you know, if I fail, I'm doomed. Like it was a fairly kind of structured process. And, um, and I was lucky with a couple of early, uh, not non-media related work. Like we did some like sales roundtables for a big client in Asia to do biz dev. So that was kind of not in the scope of the original business, but generated early revenue. So, um, so yeah, that, that way it went. So it was quite a smooth transition, I guess. There's not too much panic involved. And the, and coming back to the sort of like the entrepreneurial spirit that obviously you were active in sales, you were doing business, even if it wasn't your own business. And, you know, was it like a light bulb moment? I could have my own business or had you been sort of thinking, I want to have my own business for a while, but you just didn't know what it would be. And because quite that actual decision, I could actually found this. That's quite a big, if you never had your own business before, that's quite a big deal, isn't it? That, that moment of realization. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, because that in Asia, I was so I was so far away from court with headquarters. Like you, you felt, okay, I have to back up. I have this, the IT, I have like some support. And obviously like, you know, if you have a back quarter, maybe they're going to, you know, send some money over. But, um, but it felt very entrepreneurial. 
So it didn't feel like a major stretch to just like, okay, I can just do this on my own at a smaller scale. And uh, also one of the reasons was when you, when you do business in Hong Kong and Shanghai, <laughs> it's so fast paced. Like if you go back to a Swiss corporate after that, you're just going to like decelerate like into like really, really, it was, it would have been painful just a deceleration. So if you take that kind of entrepreneurial energy that's in, in a place like Hong Kong or Shanghai, and then you go back to Switzerland, you apply to a small, like, you know, startup company. That's a good, that's a good mindset to carry, you know, from, from, from China. So it felt very natural to, yeah, start your own thing, basically keep the, be, be in steady, stable, beautiful Switzerland, but like take that entrepreneurial craziness from, from yeah. Hong Kong and it's China. It's actually very dangerous. Yeah. You bring the Asian, Asian work ethic to sleepy Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about sleepy. Sleep, no, I, I get what no, you, it's, sorry, it's, it's, I'm, I'm rephrasing what you said. No insult. <laughs> I think, so I, as I mentioned earlier, Switzerland's an amazing economy. So if any Swiss listeners think we're not sleepy, I, I stand No, correctly. they're not sleepy, but it is, it, well, it's not sleepy, it's empty. Like the the one thing I had no call zero culture shock coming back. I, I it was it was nice, but the one thing is like there's just no people. Like you come, like right. you go, you know, you like you're like there's no one. Like hey, where is everyone? It's like twelve o'clock at night. And there's like zero people on the street. Like you know, in Hong Kong, there's like twenty four seven. There's people. I guess it's like New York, right? So there's there's okay. always something going. I gotta on. I gotta uh, I gotta ask uh, this because it's uh, so like I again I'm a. Um, a user of your content and so i <clears throat> the way it's being presented is like you just knew about the translation industry and this guy uh the other uh um andrew was this expert in the publishing but you are in fact very talented at interviewing at analyzing at getting to the actual crux of the business and this has nothing to do with you know i know you have the sales background and you can be salesy and all, all that stuff but it's like it, it strikes me as like uh, because, okay, you were definitely not obviously born to be an electrician, but uh, maybe you were born. I mean, did you, have you just found yourself in, at least in terms of this side of it? Because like, did you do any of that? Like, I, where did this come from? Because your ability to interview people, your ability to get to the story, actually to make stories interesting. Um, that's actually your differentiator, uh, for my opinion, as a as a consumer of your of your of your product. So, like, where did that come from? And uh, <laughs> like consumption, I think I'm a, I'm an absolute I'm a, I'm a podcast fan. I mean, I'm glad you you describe it the way you do, right? That so it means that means a lot. That's great. So I think um, you know, and also now we have a team, so it's it's not just me. What you're seeing. Um, I think yeah, I'm an, I'm an, I'm a consumer of those products. I love listening to podcasts. I love reading news. Um, at least like before, I fell into the Twitter rabbit hole like a year ago, and I, I can't seem to get out of it anymore. <laughs> and um, yeah, I you know. So that I was think it's, it's just different than like what you described. Like just the skills that you described. Yeah, just just being in the industry. Come on, uh, Florian, how many of us are there in the industry? Not everybody can do, just because we've been in the industry and we have industry expertise doesn't mean we could be analysts and interview. You know, I mean, there's who clearly have something else that's going on here as well. Yeah, but not very few people try though, right? <laughs> no, seriously, like, like you know, He's you're so you're, humble. No, but <laughs> you're not trying. I mean, if, you, if, if all you did was trying to figure out great stories about the language industry and doing interviews, I mean, you're doing an interview now, right? So it's, right. it's, there's not too much, there's not too, there's not, there's not too much opportunity for too many people to do that. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, now I there's think, other people. Yeah. Get get good at something that matters that other people, I mean, getting good in an area where other, there isn't that much competition. You know, on the, the competition can be great in keeping you on your toes, but on the other hand, it gives you so much opportunity because you, you know, you'll get you 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 really are carving out your own your own niche, right? And yeah, probably yeah. probably sooner or later there'll be someone who says, "Oh, I want to be like Slater and try to copy." Oh, there you. are. I mean, we got competition now. There's a, there was a magazine before that was uh, in print. Now they're stepping up their game. There's like an in, independent industry analyst that's really. Uh, pushing out great content, good charts, etc. So now, yeah, the competition is definitely there, but that mm -hmm. actually makes it quite interesting. So yeah, now you get results. to I look at the layup. Look at the layup, Richard. Do you want to ask it or do you go ahead? I've been asking more because I know that I hope that you've been you're thinking the same as me. Go ahead, you can ask. No, you, you ask a question. I'm not sure where you're going with this. <laughs> so our favorite, uh, one of our favorite things is. Uh, growing up, are you competitive? Like, did you uh, obviously you do running and like it sounds like you're you, you know you you're, you must be some level of competitive for yourself. But like, would you consider yourself a competitive person? Yeah, 
Yeah. And yeah, like, with, the, with a brief stretch of non-competitiveness, like between my teenage years. <laughs> but as a kid, I was quite competitive. Yeah. So and if you play like board games with your kids, do you let them win? Uh, I never played board games with kids, with the family, and I w- uh, yeah, I was I was not happy when I lost. No, I was competitive at sports. I was very competitive at sports. Yeah, all kinds of like. Uh, but grinning like, away, not happy when I lost. The the, yeah. the the way the emotion you carry in these sentences is spectacular. It's like it's obvious you really mean it. <laughs> I'd love to find. I hope at some stage in the future we can play a game of Monopoly or some board game and just see how. <laughs> now I'm goes. chill. Now I'm chill. Now I'm okay with losing. Uh, yeah, no, it's a sports, competitive sports. Um, not like super zealous, but like, yeah, I didn't like to lose. Um, mm. yeah. Jump, jump, jumping over to leadership style. You, you carved out a leadership role when you're working for someone else and now you're a co-leader or co-leader of, of, of Slater. So, um, you obviously had some role models in the construction company, you know, you, uh, the, you saw how that was run. And if you sort of think of examples of, good leaders or terrible leaders like on your own leadership style what what have you picked up as like being the core things to if you're telling someone else how to run an organization so that they're doing it properly what what really matters you know i think there's a lot of people that could give you a very polished answer to that and mine's going to be more of a ramble uh so i, I <laughs> that's okay I you're allowed I, to ramble on this podcast yeah, i can't <laughs> i just can't give you that three minute like that's that's what good leadership means. Cause I was never kind of the, I was never looking for leadership as I, I feel there's so many ways to be a good leader that it's so hard to boil it down. Right. I'm more of a, I tend to be micromanager until I find somebody who can really do a great job. And then I couldn't care less what that person is doing on, on, on you know, on, until like, um, I couldn't care less what that person is doing in a sense because they're doing a great job, right? But I will man- micromanage them along the way and then just totally let go. Now that micromanagement may, may be annoying at times. So, but that that's kind of my personal style. I think um, I think what's a, a good leader needs to, one thing needs to, you need to you have trust in your people. And if you don't trust your people, you should, you should probably not work together, right? Because if, if there's, that's probably the, the one poisonous thing in an org, if, if there's mistrust. Uh, and if you have people, if you have teams and there's that, I think they like to call them like the actively disengaged, like you have like the, the, the ones that really want to move the org forward, then like the, you know, the, the, the coasters and then like the actively disengaged. My, my experience was you need to really make sure you, uh, you don't have them on your team um, and, and just create like an open culture where people want to share um, stuff, but don't try to be like the friend the friend of like the staff because that can also be slightly awkward at some point like hey man you're kind of my boss like i don't want to hang out with you all the time you know <laughs> so again that's the, the rambly part here so um but yeah if you boil it down to i think trust is super essential and it's it's fascinating to me that like slater as a, a totally de- like a distributed organization i mean no one sits we're not sitting in an office never have that it runs so well like there's you know there's no bickering and there's no backstabbing there's there's lots of trust and people like just work with each other uh very smoothly so but that's also because yeah people trust each other to do to do good work so mm-hmm. if you instill that culture of trust i think you've come a long long way in in uh in building a good organization and being a good leader but when you're working were you were firing you mentioned you were doing reports do the and uh, you did reports and your boss in switzerland let you get on with things and she'd come out and help with sales and like do you have things like reports or is it so like is it so like informal that you don't make people sit down and write a report of like what they've done and what they're what they're going to do no. or do you, you, you don't do that Look, I don't do that because there's so many amazing new ways of doing business. Uh, when, when when I was working at that company, there was no tool like we're using a tool called Asana. Yeah, I know. And it's just mind it's mind blowing. It's so it's an amazing tool. Like that just didn't that didn't exist. I couldn't like when somebody completed the task. Like now <laughs> I can just like it, right? Or I can put a smiley face under like a task. You can even have a setting where like a unicorn runs across the street the screen when you complete a task. Like we we were it was basically email when I was part of this organization, right? And some chat. Uh, and now there's all of these other ways of of tracking people's work. That doesn't yeah. mean they have to kind of you know put a spreadsheet together and like spend five days to tell you what they did in the five past days. Like that that's what sorry that is what bad leadership. If you make people like spend a considerable amount of their time justifying 
what they're working on and produce report. I mean, who likes Reporting, that? Yeah. That's, that is terrible. And that's happening way too often. I think that's also one of the reasons why some people want to leave like big corporates because it's like, Hey man, just, just trust me. I'm doing my job. I don't need to like punch into the system for five hours a day. Yeah. And for people who don't know, Asana is one of a number of like project management tools that basically means that you can see what tasks people are working on. You can see calendars, there are to-dos. Yeah. And- I wanted yeah. to actually ask if you can, because it's into that. Actually, I have a, two more things, at least on my, on, on my side. But um, Florin, something that super impressed me about your business, and I think it's actually very interesting for a lot of people that would want to start businesses, is you did what I would call a very lean um, startup and you you used a lot of subscription software and you, it's it's always struck me of like tons and tons and tons. Could you just give us a high level like just overview of how you set it up? I mean, like I assume you're using like Google for mail and you're you're using Asana yeah. for project yeah. management. Yeah. Can you just, just give us the, like, rattle the, the, rattle through the tools like the ones yeah, that, kind the of, ones you're using? I, I find that interesting, yeah. super interesting, and would be super interesting for a lot of startup people actually. Uh, yeah, and that's, well. that is so amazing today, right? And it, it's basically now like a symphony of SaaS. Uh, and I, it's almost my guilty pleasure to sign up to more software as a service things and then like find that I may not need them after all. No, but look, uh, yeah, today, um, I mean, we're on Google, like Google Workspace, it's now called, right? So the whole organization runs on Google with all the folders, etc. cetera. Uh, the core tool is really Asana. Um, where like all of the projects are happening and people communicate with each other. Um, we still use Google Hangouts to chat. Um, we try to move to other chat things, but it didn't work. Like we're, we're not using Slack. I think a lot right. of other people use Slack. We, we've, I've never seen a reason to use Slack uh, because we communicate on other channels. Then the, the, the website is on WordPress. Uh, that's just, there, there's obviously many competing platforms, but for heavy duty publishing, WordPress still is the way to go. Uh, there's so many like plugins, it's kind of its own ecosystem and it's easy to to add functionality to it. And there's a ton of developers out there. So you're not stuck with some obscure, obscure code at some point. Um, for what else, for, for like graphic design, like just use Canva, we're using Canva. Fantastic tool, uh, really like for even for non-designers, you can create relatively, I mean, that, yeah, you can create good looking design. Even Graphic if you're not design a for what? For your um, Well, just for everything like podcast covers. Yeah, podcast covers or like to resize images when you download from Shutterstock. Like for all of our reports, we need like licensed images. So we're using Shutterstock. You download it into uh, Canva, you resize it. Maybe you add something onto it to make it a little cooler. Um, then uh, recent discoveries, um, uh, for example, Airtable is really useful for data, uh, data management. I feel like there as well, I've scratched the surface. It's probably 90, probably using 1% of its capabilities, but it's it's quite cool. <coughs> uh, let me just go through this. Um, what about uh, you do a lot of online? You're basically um, part of your business is e-commerce, actually. So what about yeah. like, uh, because you're selling it's reports w- and stuff like that. How do you e-commerce. manage that? So it's a WooCommerce plugin to uh, WordPress. Um, oh. And then obviously the payment uh, goes through Stripe, which is okay. probably the default now almost. Like I used to accept PayPal, but then the accounting mess that PayPal um, in a sense cost was not worth the you know the additional revenue or the revenue that came in with these few PayPal payments. It's just like, because PayPal is kind of the separate um, almost systems where you pay in and out of, and it's like from an accounting point of view, it's really horrible, uh, at least for me. Um, yeah, a MailChimp for the newsletter. That's also oh, well. kind of the, the, the fault, I guess. Uh, yeah. And so how did you, so again, like uh, where did this come in this whole background? Because all this stuff, it's like funny, we, oh, you're just a sales guy out in Asia. <laughs> <laughs> that's not by necessity that's by necessity right i mean you just well okay so i want i need a newsletter what's a newsletter tool i need data like okay let's google data stuff like we need some kind of tool to work in let's just use asana i mean otherwise look if you don't use those tools today you're probably not going to make it in business because the the companies and founders that are using those tools are so much more efficient than you and you can't compete unless you use these tools. Like I wouldn't know how to run my business without somebody like without a son. I mean, what would I do? Like send 50,000 emails a day. I I literally would not know how to run it. It's awesome. It's also, I mean, this is, and if you're in Switzerland, 
is essential. And sometimes people think, well, high 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 wage, high cost countries, you have to be efficient. Low wages is not so important. But in fact, everyone has to have this because if someone's in a low cost country, and I know your team's all around the world, not everyone's on Swiss Swiss cost level, but you you just can't compete with people who are using these tools, yeah. right? The, yeah. You know, you're slower, it costs you more, it's less predictable. So so you're a big fan of these tools and you'll carry on looking out for new ones. And for your conferences, you do, you do on, you're doing online events, you're using so, Zoom. So yeah, we're, we're now using Hopin. Yeah. Um, Hopin, interesting story. If I listen to a podcast and those guys are from the Web Summit. I think it's actually a spinoff of the Web Summit, like the Lisbon 70,000 people. I think it's their back end and they, they like, when yeah they were actually on the road to like selling it when covid hit and then obviously that turbocharged it um it's great it works it's stable we ran two conferences on it and now do a lot of workshops on it it's very interactive it has like this kind of um networking function where you jump into like random calls with people video calls with people it was really fun so uh it's not the cheapest but it works and that's that's the most that's a great thing. um that's a great transition to my, my my other question which is so like you're running a, i mean your business was uh, or is um a big part of it that you do conferences and like 2020 was <laughs> like i mean this has been a really nice story uh yeah. floor i mean it is clearly you have an incredible it's an incredible story but clearly 2020 i mean let me just ask directly was 2020 and covid challenging and how did you get through it i mean um uh, yeah, well, I mean, it was mildly stressful in March when we were like, well, we just wired, you know, a lot of money to hotels in London for our breakthrough May conference. The first time we're going to do two days and, you know, we're going to take out the big ballroom and everything. And then, all right. Uh, yeah, it seems like they're going to shut this down. So that was mildly stressful. Luckily, we got refunded. Um, and the thing is, we're, I mean, we're other than conferences, we're like so fully digital um, that we could just basically focus the time we used to spend on conferencing on producing deeper research, okay. doing more advisory work. So it was very neat. It turned out to, I mean, that wasn't guaranteed, but it turned out that it was a, a quite a neat transition uh, into just doing more of the other part of the business. Yeah. It, it also, it though, I think it's probably fortunate that the translation industry itself uh, weathered that this COVID storm very well because, you know, yeah. it, I guess people could cut their budgets for your reports and stuff like that if things got really bad. Um, yeah, I, I, but it, I mean, yes. Uh, well, we, we did find out that we're not discretionary spent. That was actually nice to see. Mm -hmm. Like uh, you could have argued probably before, well, you know, this is kind of uh, when, when the sun is shining, you buy these reports and you right. feel good about yourself. But actually this is, we're, we're giving people really actionable, like in market intelligence they can use to grow their business. So can they choose not to buy it and kind of stay in the dark to a certain degree? Yes, they can. But like if everybody else buys some of these reports, they're going to have a slight competitive advantage uh, because they're more informed. So it's not, it's not just, it's not fully, it's not discretionary. Uh, and the, this, the translation industry as a whole, uh, you know, turns out it's essential, like for many, many businesses, for regulated businesses, because they have to, but for other businesses, because they right. need to grow and expand and talk to people in, in, in so basically 2020 ended up being a good year for you a very good year indeed yeah was it, we, was it better than 2019 yes that's awesome yeah congratulations just, yeah and that's like it's it's never been better actually than it is now i mean mm. you know. and that's funny and you didn't have your because you're I, I i mean i have to believe that the, you know when you get to go back to the like in-person events i mean that's just another like revenue whatever whatever injection then. It is. It is. It's also a lot of work, though. I mean, those conferences are fantastic to network, uh, but it's a lot of work. <laughs> so, like, let's see what happens when they come back. Mm -hmm. uh, if we're going to do three, maybe we're just going to do one big one a year or something. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was no, That's it was a great year, and it's a, it's a, an even better start to the new year. So I've never been busier. So, awesome. so well, thank you for finding the time to talk to us. And it, just thinking forward into the future, obviously, it sounds like things are going well. Um, you mentioned profitability a few times, so you're obviously 
making enough money to justify doing what you do by the sound of it. That would be correct, right? Yeah. So if you think to the future, suppose like five, ten years from now, so, I mean, obviously maybe some big company comes along waving their, waving wads and wads of Swiss francs or euros and makes you an offer you can't refuse. But I'll take Bitcoin. It, You'll take Bitcoin. <laughs> that Elon Musk was in the news and uh, Tesla was in the news of having put $1.5 billion into yeah, Bitcoin in the last few days just when, we're, yep. just when we're recording this. This is February 2021. Um, so, and you know, someone could be listening to this in 100 years' time, Florian, when, when, we're, when, when you're we're, incredibly when we're on famous. Hyper when we're on hyper Yeah, it was only $40,000. <laughs> it was only... It was only well, I 50. got in early. I tell um, you guys, we're still early. Yeah. Still early, yeah, and uh, this is all a bringing up to the Bitcoin ad. No, what I was going to ask was like, what would success look for you look like for you in five or ten years' time? Like, if things go the way you want, uh, do you have like a kind of a feeling of where you could take this? Have because like you always you mentioned, it's a lot of work to do the conference, and so maybe you could make way more money doing way more conferences, but you don't want to because you've you've got enough, and you know it's more of like a lifestyle that makes you and your family secure, but you're not focused on making tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. No, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> What's not going to happen? You're, you're going to be content, or you're going to make tens or hundreds? Of well, millions I'm, I'm content already, so I, 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 you know, I don't need hundreds of millions to be content. I hope most people shouldn't shouldn't need that. Um, what's i i can't give you a good answer i know that's that's a bad answer i think i i like what i know actually actually it's not a bad answer it's yeah. I, I we really prefer to hear how it is not okay. what it's meant to be yeah no so I, I i really like what i do i think it's really interesting i work with a lot of interesting people i work for a lot of interesting people it's there's a lot of stuff you can do with this business we can go a lot more into like subscription i feel we 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 haven't done this uh, well enough, uh, like the customer experience on our site is not great. We can totally improve on that. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so there's there's a lot more to do with this business. And then you can take this business as it is now and you can replicate it into different industries as well, right? That's something we haven't even tried yet, uh, which is something that definitely I will look at at some point uh, in, the, in the next couple of years as well. So there's a lot more to do with this business. And I'm, you know, again, I'm 42, so I'm not looking to retire anytime soon. I like this game. I like to uh, be in, in the business world and, you know. So if someone, out here, someone listening to this thinks, well, in my industry, there's nothing like the industry website newsletter. They should give you a call and maybe you could do it together with, they, you could invest in them or help them. Absolutely. Or... Yeah. Um, or maybe they'll do it without or you. Or maybe I'll just say, do Why? it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll just do it. Um, yeah, you don't need a lot of investment to do this, right? And you just need the hard work. I mean, the tools are there. They're relatively... Yeah, uh, know-how. Florian, know-how. Don't underestimate the know-how that you have from doing it. You have huge know-how. Yeah, now I do. But it takes, uh, you know, again, it needs takes certain passion, et cetera. So, yeah, no, I mean, I, I know what you're saying. Like, there is a certain recipe now that we have that can be applied to other sectors definitely so it's not just it's not just a random uh thing that you can do anyway yeah yeah mm. so that's uh that's what success looks like like i, I want to stay in business i want to do more of what we do now and do it better and grow slowly and have 20 people in two years and yeah so on. And, and again that i did that question like if someone was listening suppose there's someone listening who's like got entrepreneurial leanings i think i'd like to be i'd like to be an entrepreneur in the future i'm not quite sure what I'm going to do, where I'm going to do it, how I'm going to do it, but they, they, they feel that this could be the life for them because that is part of our listeners are people are interested in entrepreneurship, even if they aren't doing it yet. If, is there any like particular advice you'd you'd put out there, like if based on what you've learned so far, either for goodness sake, don't do this and do do that. And it can be anything. Maybe you don't have any, but if there's anything you particularly want to share. Um, so I think you should have, I mean, either start really, really early, like really, like literally like 19 or something. And you just kind of be, be a lifelong entrepreneur and you'll find your way, you'll find your niche and you'll learn like the, the important stuff on while you, while you're doing your naive early mistake journey thing, right. Unless you're like a genius and you have some like invention or something, uh, or you should probably do a bit of corporate and kind of understand how the big pieces fit together and then but then don't wait too long and actually do do start something, right? And and again, that's always I'm looking at this from a B2B services world. Like I've never invent. I mean, I you know I 
it's not like I invent a product or I, I did like, uh, you know, if you're in biotech, you have this kind of idea and you're at, at the uni and you have a product to take the market. So what I'm, what I'm describing here is more kind of the, yeah, the B2B services uh, way of, of doing business. But yeah, you should, at some point you should just, yeah, pull the trigger and start. Don't wait too long. Um, yeah. Because a little more just at, 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 in the closing, Florian. Uh, normally, I like to people ask people about education and how important they think it is. I, I think in your case, I think we know like your your personal story. I'm not sure how much uh, the formal education process mattered to you, but how do you feel about education when it comes to maybe your kids or like like do you, like how important do you, like if you want if you're if you're if you want somebody to if somebody wanted to be an entrepreneur. What would be like, uh, because, you know, a lot of people, they go, they get their MBA, they go to study economics. And then I'm just curious what your take is on that. I mean, the MBA, you're probably mostly doing for the network and the contacts, right? And I mean, you're going to get so specialized later on, on certain activities or business things that I mean, like, what ex what really will you be using from the MBA, right? And if you really want to do MBA type work, just go and do like one of those paid Harvard courses, and then you get to do the case studies for a week as well. Um, I, I think education is is very, very important for the technical world, like, you know, where you, yeah, like medicine, engineering. I mean, this is something you can't really learn on the fly, I guess, or just like practice while doing it. I mean, you're not going to build a rocket, just right. like, yeah, I mean, maybe some genius as well, but like, you know, normal people want. For business, I think it's, yeah, you can do an MBA, but maybe you should probably do it early on. Um, I think there's a lot of overanalyzing stuff in, in the business education world. Like, you know, you probably learn more by just trying and failing and trying it again, the usual kind of entrepreneurial approach. So I, I think it's for, for, for children and, and, and young people, I think it boils down to actually your interest in the, in the subject matter. I think you shouldn't voice like certain subject down people's throats if they really have no interest. I mean, yes, you need a basic level of math and, and, and language education, but if you really don't care about math, like don't torture yourself. Like there's millions of other people that are gonna be great at math and there's millions of other linguists that we know, right? That do good at language. So don't torture yourself trying to learn a subject just because you need to tick a box. Um, yeah, so and, don't, don't worry too much about education if you have other things in mind. And Kimon asked this question, but I'm gonna steal it, um, which is, do you think you are a lucky person and what's the role of luck? I and mean, you're obviously being successful, you know, and you're quite modest, so you're not exaggerating your success, but Slater is a successful business. Um, do you think, what role did luck have in your life in getting you to where you are now? Do you, do you think you're lucky and were you lucky? Do you need to be lucky? I'm definitely lucky. I mean, nothing really terrible has ever happened to me. Uh, so that. Yeah, lucky, but you got to be in the right position to, you know, where the luck <laughs> finds you. So if you're in the wrong position, just move away. Maybe there's going to be luck coming your way. So, yeah, yeah, definitely lucky. But do you make your own luck? Yeah, you make your own luck. I mean, it's 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 an old old thing, right? But uh, yeah, and if it doesn't work out, try something new. Uh, yeah, but I mean, lucky. Look, I mean, I live in this country. Um, I'm from here. I mean, there's could have been worse circumstances, right? Well, so. like being being born Swiss is a good start. Right? It's a good start. <laughs> I mean, there's many other beautiful countries on the, on Earth, but uh, but I like it. Like it's Zurich. It's nice. It could be worse. So yeah. <laughs> it could be worse. Well, I don't, I don't have any more questions. Do yeah. you have any, any final no, final it's comments? Been real, it's been a lot of fun, and you know, obviously, Florian, I know you quite well, but uh, I, this has been, this has been awesome for me because I got to I didn't know some of the nitty gritty um, stories coming forward. So I've I've enjoyed this. Thanks thanks for taking the time. Well, yeah. thank you. Thanks for having me. It was it's great. Been a it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing. We've been talking to Florian Faze, the CEO and co-founder of Slater. For now, the leading translation industry source of expertise and conferences in the world. And I'm confident that if you're in charge, you're going to be keeping ahead of those competitors. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Thanks a lot. Bye, guys.